Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. I'm Maria Massey, and I'm an assistant head at Kirk Day School. And I'm John Spencer, the director of youth and family at Kirk of the Hills. And folks, if it wasn't for John, we would not have a podcast because he started this for his youth <laughs> ministry, and it's blessed us tremendously. So for those of you that have appreciated uh, now, and I found this out recently, our 21 episodes, so this is episode 22, wow. oh, um, this all stems from John's leadership right. and vision. So thank, thank you, John. You. Uh, it's been fun for us. Uh, as you know, our last guest was Leonard Sachs, uh, New York Times bestselling author, and he spoke to our families as well. And we have really reaped the benefits, but it's also drinking from a fire hose in a lot of ways of, man, it's a lot of information. How do you disseminate that? How do you drink that in and, and allow that to actually influence your life instead of just completely changing your life to, to you know, a sexology, so to speak, of, yeah. of how we're going to live? But I think, John, you come with a really great perspective of seeing a lot of Kirk Day School graduates and a lot of kids that are at least within our socioeconomic as well as just our cultural realm that that want to be influenced by the church, influenced by Christ, parents who care mm -hmm. deeply for their kids that are struggling with these issues that some might even say, hey, to make these changes, it's already too late. Yeah. And so my first question to you today really is, what kind of lives do you see your kids living within the Kirk Youth Ministry as well as some coaching yeah. and things like that that you've done? Yeah, um, well, thanks for having me. Um, it's fun to be a guest and not a host, and so I'm happy to be here. Um, I was just talking about this. We're in the process of uh, hiring some interns in our youth ministry, and um, some, some of the people that have applied grew up in, at the Kirk and went to KDS and um, grew up in the youth ministry and have since come back and mm -hmm. wanting to serve in some capacity. And um, sitting in this seat for a while now, uh, I, I hear a lot of stories of old youth ministry things and habits and always asking about how come you don't do this, how come you don't do that. Um, and quite frankly, I've been doing youth ministry for, this is 13 years now. Um, I'm not that old, but I've been doing it for a while. Um, and it's drastically changed how you do youth ministry over the years. Um, and part of that is a sense of busyness. Um, busyness is one of the, the greatest idols of our kids and families and um, it's just part of the culture, especially in this part of St. Louis and in America in general. Um, so if you're not busy, uh, you're not worthy. And so you even find kids all the way down through upper elementary, um, even some lower elementary, they're just crazy busy kids. So um, a common trend is um, that in order to get time with a kid, you gotta schedule weeks and months in advance. Um, and it's just kind of nuts. And when there's a kid that is not that busy they're an anomaly um, and so um, I'm right there with them I'm super busy as well and uh, it's it's almost I made a decision a long time ago to realize if I'm to keep up I need to be as busy um, and there's been a lot of good and bad to that um, that I'm able to be with kids but that also takes away from time with my own family um, and time with things that I probably should be focusing on otherwise so that's where I find a lot of people, so there's a lot of isolation with that when you're busy. You're jumping from one thing to the next rather than sitting in a long period of time in an intentional space with, with your parents or with even friends at that. You're going from one practice to another to a tutoring session. You never have long-term times 
um, in front of peers or or your parents or anybody that's worthwhile spending time with. Mm. So uh, that's probably the biggest trend that I see, um, and that's where we see a lot of our youth group kids as well. They're um, they're here regularly. Um, a lot of them are, and but it's almost like they're checking a box to be there, and then they're on to the next thing, um, and that's. It's scary. It's awesome in one way. We can count on a lot of kids to be here, but uh, for what reason are they, they showing up? Well, and, and you mentioned something uh, when you're talking about just busyness and you have to do that, and something that we talked about with our faculty at the beginning of the year is that we cannot confuse rest with laziness. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of a, of a mindset that, that has crept into any work environment, that if you are resting, even if you're enjoying the show, right, you're going to binge on Netflix and not just watch a show. You're going to do all these other things that, that takes you away from actually just resting. Yeah. But I think for teenagers, I, I even wrote the word down here, lethargy. Yeah. We, we think teenagers are going to be lazy because they're in this, you know, the second uh, rapid growth stage of their, yeah. their physiology at least. They're growing, they're exhausted, um, they're sleeping more and harder. So if they're not going at 110 miles an hour, then they're just sloth. You know, yeah. they're yeah. not doing anything. It's an extreme. Yeah, right. they work in the extremes. Yeah, we we don't often find that middle ground of yeah. where's the gray mm -hmm. in yeah. being busy um, and being, or I shouldn't even say being busy, being productive and being lazy. Yeah. Like there's no. Yeah, there's no middle, middle ground. ground. There's no good balance. And, and that's one thing that's pretty normal. And it, it's, it definitely shouldn't be shunned. It's more of, it should be guided in a direction. Um, Dan Siegel, who is a, uh, he's not a brain scientist. You know Dan? Close enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, I he, think he would call himself an interpersonal neurobiologist. Yeah, sure, which is whatever. The only, you know, he's, um, I think he's the only one who really understands what that means. Yeah. But, he, yeah. He, works, he works heavily uh, studying the brain of a teenager. And he says, um, Teenagers and their brains are like waterfalls. Mm -hmm. Incredible, majestic, uh, but extremely powerful, and if not contained properly, will be incredibly destructive. Um, and that is one of the best analogies that I can yeah. see That's as a teenager. That's incredibly spot on. Yeah. 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 So um, they're worth pursuing, um, hiking the trail, um, but yet if you get too close, sometimes they bite back. So you, you <laughs> gotta keep your distance in some capacity. But also you got to learn um, the power of it to that you can utilize it to even power um, entire cities. You know, mm -hmm. water can do a lot of great things. Um, the Industrial Revolution can, can speak to that more than mm -hmm. I could. I struggled through history class, so I can't go too far. Um, but I we have it. a historian among us. I was so. going to say, and I was just looking up 1994 TLCs. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> don't go chasing waterfalls. There you go. Stick yeah. to the rivers. And That's the what it's all about. Too. They're actually just talking about teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, nothing else nefarious there. So. Yeah. Well, John, one of the big things that came out of this though was cell phones, mm -hmm. um, and I think just inappropriate use of cell phones and something that Marie and I have discussed uh, plenty. Uh, really is, is this, the analogy that Dr. Sachs used of saying, comparing alcohol to mm -hmm. the, the social media culture or the, even the cell phone culture of just digital binging of saying, you know, if we discovered alcohol five years ago, in five years, it, we may not fully understand the ramifications of this substance. We may understand how damaging it can be. We may mm -hmm. understand how um, enjoyable it can be, but we're not going to necessarily 
put laws in place that really direct and guide it. And we might be in that kind of universe right now with social media and teenagers. And so um, how do you see teenagers beginning to engage with, let's just say, for argument's sake, a substance mm-hmm. that has some incredible um, positive, enjoyable qualities with also having incredible destructive qualities that are changing the way these waterfalls yeah. operate. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, I've done enough research and spent enough time with kids. Cell phones are addictive. Um, that's true across the board. Anybody to all the way down to my one year old, he's just engrossed. Like, if I have a screen open, he's like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not saying that, but like the way that he looks at the screen, all the way up through adults, people are just attracted to the cell phone. There's a things that lead towards addiction and addictive habits while using them. Um, So that is um, definitely true and evident as we see among teenagers. Part of the problem with teenagers is their brains aren't fully developed to make proper decisions along the way. Um, So again, working in the extremes, when they're going to use the cell phone, they're really going to use it to the nth degree and to the point where it's hard to pull them away from it. Um, I am starting to see a trend, especially as kids graduate and are getting a little bit older, um, that they are starting to find themselves frustrated uh, with social media on their cell phone, but don't know what to do about it. Hmm. So they're starting to name it, like, I don't like this, but I feel like I have to do it. And that is the sign of a problem. Um, and you can hear that, you know, I. I've got uh, family members that have struggled with alcoholism, and that's where it all started from them hitting the rock bottom. Like, I have a problem, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what to do with it, Um, which is a great step, but far removed from where we need to be. So that's where I I tend to, they tend to come and ask me, what do I do? Um, And I'm pretty strongly opinionated. Well, we've seen that with, with adult content. I mean, for years now already, you have 20, plus years of adult content being online yeah. where it's it's ruined almost a generation yeah. of, of men who are in righteousness yeah right or even trying to pursue righteousness yeah. however the difference is the social media the engagement component is so much newer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to this equation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I think has impacted that younger generation yeah and there's also no real public shame of being on social media right there isn't and you know the thing that as you're talking what i'm thinking about is how do you even if it's hard enough for adults to realize the kind of control that this device has over us how do you how do you then teach a teenager mm-hmm. that same thing yeah. it's really hard and dr sachs talked about this to give something that you don't have. And so as important as the conversation is about how cell phones are impacting our teens, I think we have to ask the question because we are still responsible for their raising is how the cell phones are impacting us. Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously, you know, if we don't see it as an issue, it's gonna be really hard to then come to our kids and say, hey, you need to stop this if we're not willing to stop it. Yeah. What I find really scary is, you know, teenagers um, have a protocol on, you know, how to handle cell phone usage, when to respond to a text message, when to respond to an email, when to respond to a Snapchat. Um, And if you're not within that window or if you don't Mm -hmm. do it in the right Mm -hmm. way, you will Mm -hmm. be reprimanded. Mm -hmm. And I've been, you know, I've, 
I text students and they um, it'll be a day before I respond because um, I treat it mostly like an email it's like it's on my phone and if I'm not sitting with my phone I'm not going to respond I'm not going to go out of my way and they'll get really mad at me for a whole day and they'll be like why didn't you respond you must hate me um, and I was like no I was with an actual person and I felt like physical presence was more important and so that's where I feel like as adults we can kind of enter in and that's where me and my youth workers we kind of sit with students in that saying like physical presence is more important um, what's really hard and I taught a class on this is when you're in technology and when you're on the internet you're living two lives um, and so we all live two different lives at the same time hmm. and we have a really struggle we struggle with that you have an online internet life and it could be very similar um, to your real life but in, for most kids it's actually very different it's an outlet from their current life but regardless they're trying to live two lives simultaneously and so it's really hard for them to make a decision because they can't figure out which one's more important than the other because they're the first generation to live with both of these lives their whole life yeah um, and so that's why it's hard for us to kind of differentiate between the two mm -hmm. and saying like well this is obvious for them it's not um, it's really really difficult for them to decide both of them are just as real as the other one um, and for the old, the generation above them they're like well no it's not and the generation below them is watching um, which one do we follow and yeah. I feel like the the current um, generation of parents that have really young ones are learning from the the generation up above saying like oh maybe we need to swing the pendulum in the opposite direction and I'm I'm at the point where saying not yet, because um, there are some really, really good things about this. Um, I think we're still studying what that actually does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what Zach said in some of the research that he showed is that a total, um, you know, having no social media mm -hmm. actually shows that it can cause anxiety and depression mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, whereas too much social media can do the same thing. Yeah. And so you're right, it does feel like we're very much in this middle ground of which way are, are we going to go, yeah. um, which way is the pendulum going to swing. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I remember my dad had a scouting guide, a manual, and this is really interesting, and it had a sleep chart in it for how old you were mm -hmm. and how much oh, sleep yeah. you needed. I've seen these. Right, but this was like really good old school, mm -hmm. you know, kind of um, using like terminology that, you know, would make no sense today. But I remember seeing that the most appropriate sleep pattern for a boy under the age of 10 was to go to sleep at 8 p.m. and wake up at 8 a.m., mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's a very interesting, as, as we think and in, in going to the historian side, you know, you think about the, the fact of, you know, uh, kerosene lamps moving on to you know a variety of, of electric mm -hmm. systems and yada 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 but today obviously we have full control over over light for the most part unless you know your power goes out and first day of school sorry guys <laughs> need to throw that in there um, but that thought it comes across to the sense of you know are your lights out you know lights out that that's a that's a common phraseology yeah. within Western culture of meeting bedtime yeah. for our kids lights can be out but the phone light can still be on mm -hmm. the device light can still yeah. be on yeah and there's a there's a psychologist and, and guy who studied um johan hari um and I've, I've mentioned this book to you guys but he said he equates uh sleep 
that a child gets with their happiness. And the less sleep, the more likely they are to be depressed. And mm-hmm. and what's fascinating is it's off the charts difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he compares the, the ratio between sleep, and, and I won't totally go into this, but the ratio between sleep and depression to pills and depression and how much greater sleep actually has mm-hmm. on the body than just a pill. Yeah. yeah. And in thinking about that, about these addictive qualities, is that we're seeing a generation of especially um, teenagers not getting the sleep that they need, and school starting when you know it's daylight. Yeah. You know, it's not crazy early. It's yeah. early, but it's not crazy early. And so, uh, I guess I've been thinking about that. It's really weighed yeah. heavily on my heart because, I mean, bedtime's tough as a parent. You know, um, Jim Gaffigan has some great stand-up about bedtime. He said, you know, it's like negotiating with terrorists every night. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. But I would ask you, John, you know, teenagers have the energy, and then they don't. Yeah. And so what sleep patterns are you even seeing with teenagers, and do you think that's having um, any impact on them as far as some of their happiness and at least understanding with how they're interacting yeah. in the world? Yeah. Um, sleep is horrible among teenagers. and. Speaking from a coach, um, it's the leading cause of injury is not getting adequate sleep because that's when you're going to recover the most is when your body completely shuts down. Um, and so you're, when you get an injury, your body's telling you you're not doing something right. Um, and it usually means you're not getting enough rest. And so when a kid comes to me saying, I can't finish the workout today, um, why not? I only got three hours of sleep last night. Well, why is that? I just studied for an exam, um, and I'm like, what, was this like the MCAT? What were you studying for? <laughs> and they're like, no, I had this really tough math exam. I'm like, how long have you known about this test? For weeks. Um, and so it's just, they, they find the stress of it, and the leading cause usually is not a, a binging of their cell phone, but a constant distraction of checking in on their cell phone. And that's where I have found the leading cause of lack of sleep amongst my athletes is they'll study for 10 minutes, look at their cell phone for five. And then when you do that, you have to reset your study mind and you have to go back to the beginning and get in the zone again. Every time you get out of the zone, it takes twice as long to get back into it. So when you're looking at your phone every time it buzzes, which our phones have buzzed um, in this podcast at least 10 times, um, it's really hard to get back into concentrating on what you're supposed to be doing when you do that. So when you do that, it adds up. And so by the time they're actually done studying, it's four or five hours past Mm -hmm. when they should be done studying. I was just as busy as anybody was in high school. Um, I I did everything you could think of, band, um, sports, um, captain of multiple teams. You know, I had a full load of classes. I was getting ready for college, doing all that type of stuff. And I was still getting 10, 11 hours of sleep. Um, and that was because I'd fall asleep on the couch at 9.30 and just from exhaustion. And that's how they should be, but the cell phone has um, this addictive power to say, like, I'm going to stay awake and check in with friends because everybody else is doing that. And I don't want to miss out. FOMO is another big, big, right. big issue. Yeah. Um, and define FOMO. Uh, fear of missing out. Um, adults deal with it. Kids deal with it. Everybody deals with it nowadays. It's one of the huge epidemics of this generation is... I don't want to miss out on anything because I can see what's happening all the time. But even though what they're seeing on the screen is not true reality, that's just their second second reality to them. Um, so it's really odd. When we went to Japan with the, our youth missions team, um, it looked like we were having a blast. And we were, 
but it was also hot and miserable um, and it was hard to walk around but we made sure we looked good for those photos um, and that's the reality of it um, FOMO is probably one of the biggest leading causes to, to sleep deprivation because um, if you fall asleep you might miss out on something oh yeah yeah, I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't miss a game because then I wouldn't be able to talk about it the next right. day. Yeah. Well, real quick, and usually we do this at the beginning of the podcast, you are director of, of Youth and Family Ministries here at the Kirk, but talk for a moment about who you are because you are a coach, you are a parent, your wife used to work at Kirk Day School. Yeah. Um, so catch our listeners up and some of the folks who may not know Carrie. Uh, just a little bit about your history with the Kirk very quickly um, and your coaching and how you kind of you got involved there. Yeah, so I've been a youth worker for, like I said, 13 years, and my wife has been alongside me for all of that. And she has been a vocational teacher for um, most of those years and has served in a lot of different schools, um, inner city to Kirk Day School to Brentwood to... Um, toddler teaching. Um, which she teaches my daughter right now. Yeah, she teaches yeah. my daughter too. Yeah, no, yeah. she's yeah. the director of toddler time at the Kirk, and she's also a uh, one of my best volunteers in the youth ministry. Serves our middle schoolers, um, and praise the Lord for her. She is awesome, um, and willing to enter in with those girls, which is great. Um, we have three kids, all under the age of five, and we just, you know, spit them out every two years. So it's right on, almost on the same day. Um, it's kind of nuts. I Spencer think we're done. strategy. Yeah, <laughs> Spencer strategy. We're all about efficiency over here. So, um, yeah, we've been at the Kirk for, we're entering into our fourth year here, um, and it's been awesome. We graduated from Covenant Seminary and um, have been the director of student ministry, 6th through 12th, and kind of expanding my role a little bit to oversee all of our family ministry. And uh, we love it. This is what we're called to do. Um, our whole goal and what we do, both Carrie and I and our ministry, is being advocates of the gospel in the lives of teens and families, um, and we want to extend that um, into the community of St. Louis. We feel called to this city and to this part of um, St. Louis in and of itself. So we're really passionate about the Blues and the Cardinals, um, but we're also passionate about seeing the gospel and the kingdom grow um, in this part of the country and this part of the city. So we. Um, had a lot of options. Well, not a lot of options. We had some options to go elsewhere um, and do other things after seminary, and this is where we felt called. I always say the only reason um, I ended up at this at the Kirk was because Taylor wanted um, to keep Carrie as a teacher, um, and so they <laughs> he made sure that I was hired on um, onto staff so that Carrie would stay, and then. She ended up stepping down from sixth grade teaching. Yeah, there's a little bit of truth in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, gonna be honest. For that. we're yeah. just throwing it out there. Uh huh. Yeah, and for, for what it's worth, Carrie was a an exceptional sixth grade mm-hmm. teacher, and we loved having her uh, on staff before she was a quitter. But um, <laughs> getting she, she, she's yeah, you know. awesome. Yeah, she's awesome, and and it's awesome to be able to have her uh, on campus. So, and you coach cross country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been always been a part of my ministry. Um, ever since I started in youth ministry, I felt um, passionate about being in the public schools, private schools, whatever school uh, that was willing mm-hmm. to accept me as a coach. I ran cross country and track in college, and I didn't want to give it up. And so the next step was coaching, and it's been awesome outreach ministry. Coached from U City to um, to college to Westminster to Ladue, and now at Whitfield, um, we have our first practice today, which is super exciting. Um, but yeah, it's uh, been a great way to come along the busyness of teenagers and meet them where they're at 
um, whether it was at Westminster where a lot of these kids are covenant kids and have grown up in the church and know the gospel and meeting them where they're at to Whitfield where you know less than five percent of the population is Christian over there um, and our next door neighbors and what that means for me to step it alongside them has been very different but also very exciting and a lot of fun um, so that's one of my biggest hobbies and passions and part of my job and not part of my job I would do it even if um, I wasn't doing youth ministry. I just love coaching. Mm. Um, it's just fun to come along with people in that stage of life. What's really cool listening about all the things that you do is it sounds like you really mix your passion with your ministry. Yeah. Um, which is really cool because sometimes that it's hard to figure out that line. We yeah. think that they have to be separate. Yeah. That we have our ministry over here and then the things that we like over here. Yeah. And it seems as though you do a really like you've been able to blend those which yeah is awesome. yeah we're a little crazy we also live in the youth house which is next door um so we really live in it you know i leave the kirk and then i go next door to coach at whitfield and i go next door to, <laughs> to live at home where sometimes there are youth kids already over there um by the time i get home and so but we love it and um, we love kind of living making it our life and our livelihood rather than just checking off a box yeah. and saying i'm going on to the next thing it's really integrated and we that's why we feel like we're called to this um it's it's a lot of things sometimes it's hard to balance um but in a lot of other ways we wouldn't have it any other way we love it this is um the last place we would want to leave um because we truly know that this is where the lord has called us you may call somewhere sometime somewhere else but for now this is where we're called and we love it and we we're all in uh, with it all and you're a KDS parent. We are, yeah. We have uh, Hannah, our oldest, is in pre-K, which is crazy to me. Um, she is loving school, um, probably a little too much. We're like praying that that's not her idol. Um, and um, <laughs> she comes home, she tells us every moment of it and what everybody did right and what everybody did wrong. And True firstborn uh, there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. But it's... Um, we love KDS and we've loved being a part of this community all the way through. Um, our kids have gone through toddler time and as Carrie is a teacher here. So we've been a part of this community and it's just served us really, really well. Um, and I love being able to walk um, my girl to, to school. Not everybody can do that, especially going to a private school. So it's um, really a blessing for us. That's awesome. That's cool. Well, we, we definitely love Hannah. Yeah. I'm going to ask this question. You had mentioned um, that your goal is to be an advocate. Uh, for the gospel how are you an advocate or how can you be an advocate for the gospel amidst a culture of distraction oh yeah that's a great question do you have an answer for that <laughs> working uh, on it I'm, I'm working <laughs> I'm working on finding those biblical passages that yeah speak to it. yeah no it's um, it's all over scripture so I did teach class on this um, over the summer um, and Really, uh, a, there was a ton of research out there, and most of them by brain scientists talking mm-hmm. about the distracted mind. And um, what they came up with was they did all this research, and, and what it came down to was the best way to get out of distraction is to pursue sleep, food, friends, laughter. Um, and to me, it just sounds mm-hmm. like Sabbath work, taking proper rest Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where we're at in the culture is we don't when we rest it's really like how can I get other stuff done that I don't normally get to get done and I'm like guilty right there totally guilty or how can Um, I binge the TV show because that even feels like an accomplishment yeah so that that's a huge thing truly taking a break from something 
um, taking a retreat. That's why we do retreats in youth ministry. I know it's good money and it feels like you're, we're getting paid to have fun, but we're really challenging these kids to do something that the Lord commanded from the first book in the Bible to truly take rest and take a Sabbath. Um, and that can look like you know a full day thing, but even practicing on a daily basis mm. of you know, taking many retreats within the day, making sure you have an hour to like truly reflect. And that's one of the greatest uh, things a kid can learn how to do is truly reflect on things and meditate. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in like a Buddhist way, but I mean in like really process the day. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. if, mm -hmm. and as a parent, especially of younger kids, being able to process with your kid is yeah. teaching them proper processing coping mechanisms yeah. rather than using the coping processing mm. mechanism that our cell phone tends mm. to lean us to. Mm -hmm. So practicing that, and if you read scripture in, in the, in the um, lens of a distracted mind, all of scripture is covered in, and rooted in distractedness. So most of the times when sin is brought up and when people have pulled themselves away from God, it's because they became distracted by a cultural thing. Mm. So you look at the mm. idols that are present um, from the, the creating of the, the golden calf to, mm. you know, wanting to conform um, into one likeness so that we can be like God or we can be better than God. Um, it really have become distracted from God's plan for his people. So sin is actually rooted in distractedness and coming back to it. And what I talked about in my class, coming back to that is actually not looking to ourselves um, or looking to other people per se, but looking to Christ. Um, who has created this new human, uh, who has created the second Adam, the, the way that humanity is supposed to be. And so when what I loved about Leonard Sachs was on the podcast that y'all had, he talked about reestablishing authority to the parent and not to the peer, which I think is incredible. But to take it one step further is remembering that um, parents and kids need Jesus just as much. Mm -hmm. um, and so going to the next mm -hmm. step of that, mm -hmm. establishing Jesus as the authority, mm -hmm. uh, and then having parents that are leading their kids mm -hmm. to Jesus. And us as youth workers and the church, our role is to come alongside families to help and advocate for that. Um, so we're not replacing it, we're coming alongside and advocating right. for it. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. wonderfully yeah, said. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me of when he talked about the etched in stone. Mm -hmm. You know that the the laws the of, of God, yeah, yeah, would be etched in in our children's hearts. Yeah, um, yeah. like we etch in stone, and yeah. that can't happen. Yeah, without Christ. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So it, it takes it takes a village to raise one child, and you know KDS is part of that village that does a really good job of bringing in the learning piece of growing in academia, um, as well as in your relationship with Christ. And that's why this is also a huge piece of the puzzle that is very vital and needed amongst this community because it's going to refocus like who who's really in charge here, who's really making the decisions, and. And we should walk humbly knowing that really it should be the Lord and we shouldn't become distracted from that. And it's really easy to. Well, and you're touching on a word when you said humbly. I mean, just humility in and of itself. You know, Micah, mm -hmm. Micah 6, 8, you know, what is the Lord required of you? But, uh, but to be humble yeah. and justly and, and, um, and to love mercy and 
you know, as you walk with the Lord and with, with humility, I think that a lot of times our phones, um, albeit um, a wonderful tool, remind us that we're in control and when we mm-hmm. think we're in control we lack humility mm-hmm. um, and thus that that would be systemic for the parents mm-hmm. as well yeah. and really that that humility of saying you know um, to, to quote the old hymn I surrender all mm-hmm. uh, to the Lord uh, that's a tough thing for us to do and it's a tough thing for us to do in West County um, it's a tough thing for us to do with our children which is amazing that uh, Hannah would do that with Samuel is yeah. to turn him over to the temple as well of saying, you know, here, take take my thing that I want the most and give that to the Lord and, and use it. I think that's a crazy thing. What would it be like for, you know, us to be able to truly challenge ourselves to, to be able to give some of that control, just some, not all, back yeah. to the Lord and have a much more, I guess, age group with much greater humility mm-hmm. is what I would say mm-hmm. um, than going out into the world. Can yeah. be a powerful thing. Yeah. Well, John, thank you. Mm-hmm. This has been great. Yeah. This is uh, great uh, work that you're doing, um, folks. If you are uh, ever wanting a resource for your adolescent child or seeing what's coming, uh, listen to the Kirk podcast uh, for for the Kirk Youth Ministry. They do a phenomenal job, and they have some amazing events as well. Um, some scary events, uh, depending on your, your comfort level, <laughs> yeah. but they do a phenomenal job. So, John, thanks so much for being with yeah, us. And thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for supporting KDS. And, folks, keep sending us uh, ideas, questions, comments, and uh, we will keep firing these podcasts away. So thanks so much for listening.